Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 22 through 33. Many of you know this story, follow along. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Say amen if you've heard this story before. Yeah, man, we've all heard this story. It's it, This is the Sunday school story. Everybody knows this story. And as I was praying and I was uh, asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have us to speak about this? Um, I, I was reminded of a lot of sermons that other people had spoken, uh, but I felt like the, the Lord wanted to speak something. So we're just going to let him speak what he wanted to speak. Amen. Um, the, the story is very uh, well known. Let, let me just encapsulate it real quick. Uh, Jesus with his disciples, he's sending his disciples over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you don't know how big it is, it's about twice as wide and twice as long as Lake Washington. It's not technically an ocean. It's just a sea, but it's it's a big lake. So Jesus sends his disciples across the water, and as they're going across the water, uh, Matthew says that they uh, encountered contrary winds. And that word contrary means uh, that it's an affront, that it's, uh, it's a stoppage. It's uh, something tumultuous that is keeping them from moving forward. And so they begin to cry, you know, what are we going to do? And so they're out there in this storm, and then here comes Jesus walking across on the water. So he finds them in the boat, and they're seeing Jesus walking across the water, and uh, they think it's a ghost. And, and so Peter says, if it's really you, make me walk out onto the water with you. So then Peter walks out onto the water with Jesus, and he begins to look at all the waves around him, and he begins to sink. Jesus calls him out of the water, and then they both get into the boat, and then everybody ends up worshiping Jesus. It's a great story. And as I was praying, what really jumped off of the page to me was this idea of contrary winds. Uh, this idea that uh, in our own lives, there's many times that we're going through something and we're somewhere trying to get to where we're trying to get, but it seems there's these contrary winds that are coming against us, keeping us from getting to where we know that we're trying to get. Yeah. And those winds are just exactly what they are. They're contrary to the direction that we're trying to get to. Now, I, I don't own a sailboat, and I've been on one once or twice. I'm not a sailor. I don't know much about it. But what I do know this is that when you're in a boat and you've got a sail, your winds need to be going in a certain direction to get to where you're trying to get. And if so, if your winds are going the wrong direction, it's going to impede the ability for you to get to where you're trying to get. Amen? There's a sermon in there somewhere. Can't, can't we all identify with those contrary winds? 
Those times in our lives that we feel as though we're trying to go somewhere and get somewhere, but it just seems like, like a foot's on top of our head or a hand's on our chest and we just can't seem to get to where we want to be. Now, if that's you this morning, this, this word is going to be a great encouragement to you. If you're not going through that right now, I'm going to prophesy and say you're probably going to go through something this year. There's probably going to be a time that you can go back and you can listen to this message because if you're anything like me, we're very quick to forget the word of the Lord. We can all identify with those contrary winds of our lives. But in this story, what we see is what Jesus does in those contrary winds. See, the first point I want to make this morning is that Jesus leads us in our contrary winds. What does that mean? If you look at verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in to the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Jesus was the one that put them in the boat to send them to the other side, knowing full well that they were going to encounter contrary winds. He knew what he was doing. He knew what the night would bring. He was leading them into a deeper trust of him. One of the biggest lies that people believe is that God did not see it coming. That's a lie from the pit of hell. To believe that God did not see the calamity coming, that he did not see the contrary winds coming is a lie. We serve an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God. There is nothing that is a surprise to him. Jesus did not put these disciples in the boat, send them across the water, and then the waves and the wind came, and Jesus woke up from his nap and goes, what is going on? I didn't know that this was going to happen. No, he knows what's going to happen before it's going to happen. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's in control. He knows what is happening and how it happens. And so when the disciples are told to get inside of the boat, they, they really don't realize the lesson they're about to get that night. Because they're going to let, they're going to live out a sermon. We, we see it now thousands of years later. These guys just got in the boat, trusted that Jesus was leading them when Jesus said, because Jesus could have gotten the boat with them. He could have said, let's get in the boat together. But no, Jesus sent them in the boat. Then he went off to pray, knowing full well what these guys were fixing to go to. They had no idea what they were going to go through, not realizing that God was going to bring them to a deeper trust in him after this experience. That God had to bring them through these contrary experiences to take something out of them that was in there that need not be there and put something into them that they needed to have as they moved forward in their walk with Jesus. Those contrary winds were not a surprise to Jesus because he led them into these contrary winds. Proverbs 69 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. These guys probably figured like, yeah, we'll get in the boat. Hey guys, this is a good idea. We'll go. We'll meet him on the other side. What they didn't realize is that the Lord was actually directing their steps. They didn't realize the full weight that Jesus was leading them, that they were going to learn a lot about Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And and that's what God does. He gently leads us towards his purposes and his plans. And, and the truth is we may not see the end result in our lifetime. Sometimes we don't see the end result right now. But isn't it interesting? We always see God's hand once the trial is over. 
We, we go through these contrary winds of our lives, these hard times of whether it's physical or financial or relational or spiritual, all the, all the same things we talk about all the time. And in the midst of it, we're just, oh, I'm on the boat and the waves and I'm dying. And then later on, you know, weeks, months, years later, we look back and we say, God led me into that. Yeah. He did something in me. I, I grew spiritually in the midst of that. God changed something. Inside. I trusted him more after I went through that. His lead is always evident when the trial is over. See, because contrary winds seem like something keeps us from doing what we think we should be doing. That's what a contrary wind is. We think things should be going a certain way, that things should be progressing faster and things should have been happening by now and I've been working too hard and I've been putting in too much work and it seems like just something's on my forehead or on my chest and I can't seem to move forward. And so we think that those things are keeping us from moving forward. But Jesus knows these winds are coming into our life and they're in our lives to keep us from moving to the place that God's eventually going to take us to, to teach us something about the nature and character of God. Jesus leads us in our contrary winds. Now, this is the character of God throughout time. It's, it's leading us into places sometimes without our consent. (laughs) I mean, it is our consent because we signed up to follow Jesus where he leads us. Let me show you what Deuteronomy 8, 2 says. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Leave that up, please. Now, this is talking about the nation of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. But for us, we should pray Deuteronomy 8.2 over our life and believe wherever God needs to lead us to grow, you will be okay with it. Because what it says here, and if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if, if God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever, that means that if this is what he did to the nation of Israel, chances are he could do this to us as well, that he can lead us places to humble us and to test us, to see what's in our hearts, to see if we're going to keep his commandments or not. It's funny how calamity always reveals character. Send, send something, send somebody through something and all of a sudden they just get squeezed and the juice of their life comes out and it's abundantly clear who they are trusting in their lives. And I get it, man. When you're going through life and you're faced with a decision, it's, it's hard to make a good decision if you're trying to honor God. It really is. And so sometimes you make a decision to do something and then it seemingly seems like things are not going as planned. Do you guys not have these experiences in your life? You pray and you believe and you say, Lord, I'm going to do this to honor you. And then you start to walk through it and you're like, gosh, this is not going well at all. Now, I will say this. If you're making decisions that are contrary to God's revealed truth, then you're going to experience calamity. But sometimes you make decisions based on God's revealed truth and then you still experience contrary winds. You, You still don't have uh, immediate success as you're walking through things. And so we lean, uh, we lean on the scriptures and, and, and here's some scriptures I want to share with you. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
So we make a decision. We move forward to it, uh, believing that we're acting on God's revealed truth and, 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 and understanding what we believe God wants us to do. But we have to also believe that if the Holy Spirit's in me and on me and through me, that he's going to lead me into this truth because he's in me. And even though it might seem like there's contrary winds coming against me, that he knows what he's doing. That's why I like Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for good for those who love him that are called according to his purpose. And sometimes seeing what God is doing takes time. It just does. It takes time to, to be able to look back and say, well, I was, I was doing what I thought God had called me. He's the one that put me in the boat. He's the one that told me to go to the other side. But now I find myself in the midst of these waves and these winds and things aren't going as I had planned. I've got to trust and know that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing in my life. Isaiah 30 verse 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So, so we know that we can trust God as we make decisions that are lined up with his word. That as we do these things, we walk through these things. That God is the one that is leading us to believe in him more, trust him more. And that he's doing something in us even though we may not understand it at the time. When, when I was in the U.S. military, when I was in the army... They have you do some things that make no sense whatsoever. And, and they have you do these, these tasks and they're by the numbers. And, uh, you know, you got to fold your laundry a certain way and stand a certain way and hang your stuff a certain way and talk a certain way and look a certain way, all these other things. And you walk through and you're like, gosh, this is so dumb, man. Why do they make me do these things? Because they're building on something they're going to teach you later on. And they've got to break you of your own decision making early on so that you'll just trust later on. Because if they tell you to run up a hill, you don't have time to ask questions and say, why? You just run up the hill because they told you to. Because when they told you to fold your bed a certain way, you didn't get a chance to ask why. So now when you're marching up a hill towards the enemy, you don't get to ask why. either. You just obey orders and that's what you do. And so sometimes God will allow you to just do, just be obedient. Just do what I'm asking you to do. Because one day you'll understand. You may not understand it now, but you will understand it one day. I mean, Proverbs 20, 24 says, A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? You are not as smart as you think you are. Myself included. Many of us pride ourselves, oh, I'm a deep thinker. And I, I can understand and discern a lot of things. But you know what? When it comes to the things of God, sometimes you're just not going to be able to figure it out, man. And you're going to break your brain trying to figure it out, make sense of it all, instead of just trusting, you know what? God put me here. God's leading me. I know that God is going to take care of me through this. Because here's the truth. In the most contrary winds of our life that God leads us to where we grow the most and trust him more. If I would just sit down with you over a cup of coffee and I would say, when are the times that God grew you the most? It wasn't when things were going well in your life. It was the times when you were the most afraid and you were in the most pain and you were going through the most despair. And you say, these are the times when I felt God's presence the most. These are the times that God grew me the most. It's because he was leading you in those contrary winds of your life. Now, here's what's really encouraging is that he comes to us in our contrary winds. So God, he leads us into these places and these contrary winds, and it feels like we're alone. But here comes Jesus, verse 25. Now, on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to the... I want to know how long he let them out there on that boat. (laughs) 
It says he was in the fourth watch, but how long did he let them just kind of like worry and doubt and be in fear? It says in verse 25, now Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying it is a ghost and they cried out for fear. Now, when we find ourselves in the midst of these challenges of life, Jesus comes to us right where we're at. Jesus will literally walk on the water to come to you in the situation that you find yourself. He will, he will do whatever it takes to get to where you need to be. He allows us to go into predicaments that seem insurmountable just to come and show himself faithful. I think, I think it's, it's, I, I, I laugh at the things of God. I don't mean it disrespectfully. I just kind of laugh at him like, okay, just so I'm clear. You told me to get in the boat. You put me in this situation. Now I'm fearful. Is this just a setup just so you can walk in and show that you're the man? Is this, is this what you do? Okay, if that's what it takes, because apparently I wasn't trusting you enough before, and so you had to let me go to these things. So now you can come in, calm the waves of my life, calm the seas of my life, and then all of a sudden I'm going to learn to trust you more, because apparently I wasn't trusting you enough before. And in my prayers, I always say, Lord, teach me to trust you more. Teach me to love you more. Give me, give me more of your presence, and apparently I wasn't picking it up, and so you allowed me to go through these things to teach me something. Yeah. Friend, these are concrete historical truths about our God that we must believe. You, you have to internalize and believe that our God will come to you. He will. You, you guys remember there's this story in the Old Testament. It was in Genesis. There's this guy. His name was Adam. Do you guys remember this guy? And he had a wife. Her name was? You guys are killing it this morning. So good. So they got into this problem where there was a tree and they weren't supposed to eat it and Eve ate it and Adam didn't show leadership and he let it and then he blamed her. And then he went and he hid from God. Right. He went and he hid from God because he was ashamed. Genesis 3.9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you, Adam? See, before his sin, Adam used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with God. He fell into sin and he hid from God. And he said, you know what? I don't want to even look at God. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to be about anything having to do with God. But because God is who he is and he's loving and caring and he pursues us, he actually went looking for Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? He was calling to him because that's, that's what our God does. In the midst of our biggest trials, in the midst of our biggest pains, and our biggest failures, and the times when our lives seem like they're at the worst they ever could be, when we're afraid and we're, we're trying to hide from God, God comes in and says, son, daughter, where are you? I'm not going to let you run from me. I'm not going to let you sit out on that boat alone. I'm not going to let you experience this pain. I'm going to come to you. You won't come to me. I'm going to come to you because that's who I am. Yes. Ezekiel 34:11 For thus says the Lord God indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out he looks for us he seeks after us he longs to be with us and he will not leave you alone he will come to you where you are at yeah. 
Whatever, whatever turmoil you're in, whatever contrary winds, I, I have to tell you that our God will show up. I don't know when, I don't know how, I, I don't know in what way, but scripture is true that he will show up. And if you were honest, you would say at the times in your life already that you've experienced that things have gone wrong and things have gone bad, you lost faith and you doubted and you said God didn't show up and God forsook me and God forgot about me. And then, you know, months and years later, you look back and like, but no, he did. He he showed up. I was just impatient. I I didn't realize that 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 thing that it came into my life was actually God. It took time for me to realize that God actually does show up. This is why David could say, "Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Read First and Second Samuel. <clears throat> And see all the perilous things that David had to go through. And then couple it together with the Psalms. And realize why people love the Psalms so much. Because it talks so much about deliverance from calamity. Because David went through so much calamity. That he lived out the deliverance of God over and over and over. That we could go and we could go back and read those things. And be encouraged in our own perilous times. You have to believe that when you're in the worst situations of your life. That God will show up. You have to believe this. That this is something that you have to put inside of your heart. And if you're in it right now, I'm speaking it to you prophetically. And if you're not in it and it's going to come later on because we just go through these things in our lives. In the same way that you believe that Jesus Christ forgives of sin, you have got to believe that God shows up in your circumstance. You've got to believe it. When you're on a boat in the middle of nowhere, waves crashing on your bow, know you're not abandoned. Know that somehow God is going to show up in your situation. I don't help people move anymore. And I'm sorry if you needed help moving and I said no, but you can blame the people that went before you on why I refuse to help people move anymore. And I don't know why when there, there's, there's two types of people that move. There, there's people that have everything in boxes and it takes 45 minutes to move. And those people are rare. Yeah. <laughs> the bulk of people that ask for help, you show up on whatever day and you're like, hey, we're ready to move. And they say, did anybody bring any boxes? Yeah. <laughs> what? We should probably get a truck. To, does anybody have a truck? And I don't know why, but the people that need the most help moving, for some reason, always have the most stuff. Yeah. And I don't mean to pass judgment, but sometimes this stuff is just not good. Like, it doesn't really have, like, why are you keeping this stuff? Yeah. So many, many years ago, there was this gentleman that attended our church, and, and, and this was back when our church was much smaller um, and, and so it was over Christmas time and he said, Hey, I, I just got a little bit of stuff to, to move on this day. Could you come down and you, you can help me. And, and my family was in from out of town, Crystal's parents. And so I uh, said, I, I got to go help this guy move a few things. And so I took off and, and he had a storage container that was about half the size of the front of this, um, sanctuary, this area right here. And we showed up and it was stacked and he said, we just got to move this stuff to here. And I was like, Okay, so uh, we start to move all this stuff, and like nine out of ten things is just junk. I'm like, why do you have this stuff in storage? So we put it all in this 
truck and then we ended up driving it to his next storage unit that was about as big as half the size of this room of which he had like two or three of these things and we're just shoving this stuff in here man and I'm like what are we doing with all this stuff I have never felt more alone in my entire life <laughs> and, and when I really started to feel alone is that you know I went home that day and, I, and then Crystal's dad was like I'll help you and I was like okay and we went back and it's literally like taking a cup of sand off the seashore it was just it was worthless and, and, and I remember <laughs> this isn't hyperbole we, we were putting in like 12 hour days trying to help this guy move his stuff and so then on the last day when all hope was lost and we just were like trying to get it done, this man was married to this woman and this woman's ex-husband showed up to help us move his stuff. Now that, that's a man of God right there to show up out of nowhere and start helping you move. It's not even his responsibility. Oh man, it was like wind in my sails. I'm like, why? Well, I, I don't have any responsibility really to help this guy move all of his stuff, but this guy really, really doesn't have any responsibility to help this guy move his stuff. And I'll tell you right then and there, it put a little step, a little spring in my step, right? Made me feel like I was alone, like an like an angel himself had shown up to help move this stuff. Now, why do I tell you that story? First, I wanted to publicly to let you know I'm not going to help you move. Um, Secondly, when when I tell these stories, it's always a a fun story to illustrate a picture, right? This man wasn't Jesus. He wasn't walking on water. But, But the way that God sends help isn't always in the way in which we expect it to come. But God does show up. He does send help in in the ways that you would least expect it to encourage you, to let you know that you're not alone, to let you know that you're going to get through it, that everything's going to be okay. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And I know that some of you are going through stuff right now and and, and maybe some of it is even of your own doing because you made bad decisions. You're in the middle of it, man, and you're stuck But I want to encourage you, man. He's going to come to you. He will. God is so gracious and so loving. He even comes to us when it was our own bad decisions that did it. I don't know how and I don't know when, but he will because it is in his nature to seek us out. 1 John 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. And by saying he first loved us means that he was seeking us out and coming to us. While we were his enemies, he was still loving us because that's what he does. He's pursuing us. And that love means that he comes and he seeks out those that are his. He doesn't leave them. The Bible says in John 14, 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like there's times that you've been abandoned. Please don't don't misread what I'm saying. It's it may feel like that, but it's not true. His word declares he will come. His word shows that he will come, and the history proves that he will come. Matthew 10:31 says, "Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows." So he leads us into these contrary winds, and then he comes to us in, his contra- in these contrary winds. And what does he do when he shows up? He comforts us in these contrary winds. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
right in the middle of the storm when things seem the worst, here comes Jesus right up to the boat, walking on water, and comforts the disciples in their predicament. Now, let me pause for a moment here because you've heard this story so many times that I, I, I don't think that you believe that it's true. You, you, you have turned this story into a Sunday school allegory. You have turned it into something that, that, that is just an illustration that it actually didn't happen. Uh, um, people use this phrase like, oh, he must think he walks on water, right? They steal our phrases. Oh, you must think you walk on water. This is a literal historical event that happened in the lives of these disciples. There was water that our Savior walked on, that Peter walked out on to the water with him. Now, Matthew was nice enough to write it down so that thousands of years later, we can look at this story and pull things out of it that we can apply to our own lives. Are are we all going to be in a boat out in the middle of Puget Sound and the physical body of Jesus is going to walk out there and rescue us? No. And so when we take this story and we apply it to our lives, that doesn't turn the story into an allegory. That doesn't turn the story into the parable. There's many stories that Jesus told that are parables. A man had a field. A a man had a kingdom. Like those are parables to illustrate a story. This is not a parable. This is not an allegory. This is a literal, physical, historical event that happened where these guys were in the middle of a body of water Uh, seemingly about to drown and the savior of the universe walks across the water and is like, sup dudes? What's that? What's going on? And so we, as we, as we read the historical account of what Jesus did to these people in this perilous predicament, we can assume that if Jesus walked up into our per- perilous predicament, that the sentiment that he brought to them is going to be equal to the sentiment that he's going to bring to us. This is important because sometimes people will not think that God is consistent in the way in which he deals with his people. But God is consistent. His his promise is that he will bring comfort. His promise is that he will come to your situation and you will actually feel real comfort in the midst of what you're going through. Last year when my, my friend, Pastor John Butcher, when he had his stroke and he almost died, um, I, it, was, it was a very, very hard day for me. I, I was weeping uncontrollably. I, we tried to go to bed and, and I closed my eyes and I was sobbing and I, I couldn't even sleep because I was literally sobbing just over John. And it was, you know, it's the middle of COVID and our church had COVID. It was just, everything was just ugh, in the midst of everything, right? You guys remember way back in 2020? You guys remember flatten the curve? You guys remember it? Good times. And if you've been up and you're tired and you just want to go to sleep, man, I don't want to sit here and cry alone in the dark. I'm, I'm tired of sobbing. I'm tired of crying. My friend's going to, I mean, I thought he was going to die. I was, I was afraid to go to sleep because I didn't want to wake up and find out that he died that night. And so I just got down on my knees on the side of my bed and I cried out to God. I said, God, I just need your comfort. 
Would you please just tell me that everything is going to be okay? Not that John is going to be healed. Just comfort me. Let me have a good night's rest, Lord. Can I, can I just have a good night's rest so the next morning I can wake up and face the day with you? Would you just send your comfort? And in, in that very simple prayer in the dark on the side of my bed, God showed up and he brought his comfort. I, I got into bed and I stopped crying and I went to sleep, which isn't, isn't to say I didn't care about John or I didn't care about what was going on, but I just needed his comfort in the midst of what was going on in my life. And I will tell you that God's promise throughout Scripture is comfort. And if you notice the way that I preach, I always bring Old Testament and New Testament together because I want you to see the consistency in which God uh, deals with his people so you can know that he is consistently comforting throughout Scripture. Isaiah 49, 13, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have mercy on his affliction. Psalm, uh, on his afflicted, excuse me, Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. See, in the Old Testament, God came to people through his spirit, and he came to people through his word, and so his spirit comforted people, and his word comforted people. And so what we see now with this Jesus coming through uh, to comfort his people, he comes with his literal presence to comfort him by manifesting, not manifesting in the sense of like an apparition, but his physical body being before them on the water so that they can see his presence to know that they're going to be okay and then his word the words of Jesus come out to speak to them to bring them comfort and his words are so beautiful in this moment and they are would you change your attitude please be of good cheer Mr. Jesus comes across the water. He led them into this predicament. Waves are crashing. Ah, everything's bad. He comes to them. He's there in the midst of it. And Jesus doesn't come up on the side of the boat and put his arm and go, well, gents, you guys are in a serious situation. I'd be concerned if I were you. Why, 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 why are you guys not acting more afraid? I was expecting more screaming. More tears. I was expecting you to be more emotionally overwhelmed what was going on inside of your life. No, he says, be of good cheer as the remedy for their discomfort and the key to their comforting was to change their attitude in their situation. Remember what I said, this is a literal story. Jesus literally shows up and they're going through it and he says, you know what, man? Would you guys just change your attitude, please? Can you just be of good cheer? I I don't know why, but worldly comfort seems to be centered around magnifying the turmoil in our lives instead of changing our attitude about it like Jesus did with his disciples in this story. (laughs) Excuse me. I never understand this. I, I, I don't understand this ethos of the world that I'm going through something, so that means I've got to be overwhelmed by it. There, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. That you can be going through the worst thing possible, insurmountable odds. People are like, how are you doing, man? Man, it is not good. <laughs> man, I don't know how it could get worse. It's, uh, yeah, it's bad. And people are like, well, he must not think that it's bad because he's not overly emotional negativity with negativity about his situation. So he must not care. Now you can still care and not have, you know, a bunch of negative emotions about it. 
You, you can still go through the worst times possible and be like, man, aren't you sad? I'm unbelievably sad. Oh, man, aren't you scared? I've never been more scared than I am right now. I'm really scared. You worried? Yep, got some worry too. Faith? No, I'm losing my faith. But... Uh, I just, I'm, I'm resting on God's promises. He told those guys in the boat to be of good cheer. I'm, I'm going to be in, in a good attitude. I'm just going to realize that I may not know what's going on. God has a plan. God came to me. I know that something's going to happen eventually, but I heard this sermon years ago about having a good attitude in the midst of calamity. And so I'm just choosing to have a good attitude. I'm just realizing that God's got a plan and I don't. And it is really not good right now, but I know that he's going to see me through it. Covered in waves, Jesus says, be of good cheer. Change your attitude and it'll all be okay. So right now and in the future, I want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, to be of good cheer. Be biblical about it. I mean, what do we say? Do things the Bible way? Get the Bible results. I invented that phrase right after Raymond Birch told it to me. It's good, Raymond. We can choose our attitude in the middle of a situation. I mean, you're already in the bad situation. Why do you want to make it worse by having a bad attitude around you? And I don't know why, but for some reason, people, it seems they wait for these things to happen in their lives just so they can just have the worst attitude attitude ever and then take it out on everybody else what's going on in their life. I'm like, I wasn't there and I didn't do that to you. And, and I understand that it's overwhelming, but it would be a whole lot easier for me to help you if you had a good attitude about it instead of being so just emotional that it's just unbelievably uncomfortable to even be around you because it seems as though you're using your emotions to manipulate me and to make me feel a certain kind of way because you feel a certain kind of way and you don't want to rest on God's word. Can we just have a good attitude about it? And again, I'm not... I'm not saying you're not allowed to feel emotions, man. We're emotional people. We feel emotional things. But we can choose to be of good cheer. We say, you know, man, I'm just going to have good cheer about it. It'll be fine. Because I know the Bible, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort that those who are in any trouble with that which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's what the comfort of God is and what it does. When we as people of God have experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we then in turn can comfort other people who are in need of comfort. Our good cheer can bring good cheer in other people's lives. And again, we're, we're not of this world. I know the world doesn't operate this way. And then what happens is somebody's going through something. We come through and we're like, hey, man, just I want to encourage you to be, be encouraged in this, man. Have good cheer. What? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, that's what I do, man. I mean, I was going through some stuff and I just kind of changed my attitude about it. And all of a sudden, it just wasn't that bad. I mean, it still took time for it to work out, but it just seemed like it was easier to go through with a good attitude instead of having a bad attitude about it. Because no one really gave me any awards or, you know, praised me for being a bad attitude about it. But when I had a good attitude about it, it seemed like the good cheer helped. Psalm 34:18 says, "The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such that have a, a contrite spirit." You think God doesn't know what you're going through? Yeah. Think He doesn't know what, what the pain is? I mean, He knew these guys that were out on the boat. He knew that they were going through the waves. 
And he shows up and he says, have, have a good cheer. And so when you're going through the stuff in your life, you know that Jesus is going to come to you. His word declares it. You know that Jesus has led you into these contrary winds. His, Lord, his word declares it. So, so, so why are you going to double down on it and give yourself a bad attitude about it, make it worse than it needs to be? Here's the best part about it. He saves us in our contrary winds. I, you guys knew the end of the story. Right? There's a plan. He comes to us. He comforts us. But then he comes and he saves us in our contrary winds. Verse 29, so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So we see in this part of the story that Jesus calls to Peter. Peter gets out of the boat and begins to sink when he looks at his circumstances and saves Jesus when he asks. I mean, this thing is sermon for days, right? Peter walks out onto the water and as he's looking at Jesus, he's doing fine. He looks out and he sees all the waves and everything. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm walking on the water. So then he starts to sink. I don't know what your version of heaven is. Mine has computer terminals where I can sit back and watch videos of things that happened throughout history. Um, and I maybe, I, maybe I won't care, but in my mind, I would just love to, you know, have the ultimate web experience where you can just like pull up video of Peter walking on water with Jesus. I want to see what his face was like, man. Like I want to, I want to see like how far did Jesus let him get down into the water? Before he was like, Jesus, help! <laughs> uh, I mean, was it ankles? Was it knees? Was it waist? Was it, was he like, please? I mean, I just think, it, I mean, come on, man, that would be some good, good footage to see, would it not? You notice in this story, Jesus calls Peter out to a place where it's going to take faith like he's never had before. And then Peter responds in faith. He loses faith when he looks at his circumstances. And Jesus saves him even though he had some doubts. What I love about God's word is he makes it abundantly clear is that I do not have to have faith the size of a mountain to move a mountain. I just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to have huge faith. I just have to have faith. I just got to have a tiny little bit, just enough to believe that my God can and my God will. And that means that even in the midst of sometimes I'm going to have doubts and I'm going to have worries and I'm going to be afraid and I'm not going to be sure that the Savior of the universe has walked on the water, came to me, called me out on the water with him and as I'm walking towards him even when I have doubts he's going to look at me and say I knew you didn't have what it took anyway come on get out of the water why did you doubt me I know that you're going to be okay friend doubts are normal it makes you human if you're walking on the sea with Jesus watching the miracles happen I think it would be normal to doubt a little bit I think if you were standing on the water you'd be like I am standing on water how, how is this happening? How is this possible? You'd probably start to sink a little bit. And Jesus would come into your life and say, why did you doubt that I couldn't do what I said I could do? Uh, in 2 Samuel, I'm going to show you this. And these, are, these are just really, really good words of encouragement to know that we serve a God that saves us. 2 Samuel 22. 
David praising God for his deliverance. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Do you realize that God delights in you? Yeah. The, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Yeah. You, you have not been forgotten. He delights in you. He created you. He loves you. And so, so that means that you can live and breathe and believe the scriptures. Psalm 107:19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. There, there's been many times when there has been trouble in my life that I could not fix on my own that Jesus showed up and saved me in the midst of it. That I called out and I said, Lord, I need you to fix this. Lord, I need you to be in the midst of this. And God showed up time and time again to be able to save me. Again, sometimes from my own bad decisions and sometimes from contrary winds that are just inside of my life. Here's what the scriptures say in Psalm 121.7. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. And that means situations, persecutions, scary times. God delivers you from them all. Story after story in the Old Testament about God's redemption, protection, and deliverance. This is why we preach read your Bible every single day. That means why when you read your Bible every single day and you get stories of deliverance inside of you, that means later on in the day when calamity starts to come, you can pull back into these stories and say, if God delivered these people, God can deliver me. It's why when you hang around with other Christians that share testimonies, when God delivered them, you can draw on those and say, man, God delivered them. I know that God is going to deliver me. Friend, God will rescue you from contrary winds and situations in your life. He will. I know that he will. And you may not be excited about it, but you're going to hear about it nonetheless. He's going to rescue you from physical situations and financial situations, relationship situations. And I've seen him do it for me and for you and for many, many people. And a word like this should be one that you file away. That you remember, if you're in it right now, I'm praying that it's encouraging you. If you're not in it right now, I pray that you would just file this one away so that next time it comes in, that you can be reminded to know it may not be on your timeline, but God will show up. Hold on to the scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. There's no stopping a blood-bought child of God, man. None at all. He will rebuke the devourer for your sake, he says. And so if you're walking with Jesus, you can know that, man, things are going to come around. Man, there's some waves. It's a little scary. There's some wind. Psh, Jesus is going to show up. I don't know when, I don't know when and I don't know how, but I know that I'm, I'm not going to have to deal with this on my own. You just wait. My God, he's a good God. He's going to show up. Jude 24, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He's going to keep me. And so we trust, we believe, we focus on Jesus, not on the waves of our life. Waves are going to come and go, friend. Focus on Jesus. Remember and quote the scriptures over your situation and know that Jesus will save you. Let me share with you two more scriptures and then we can go home. Second Timothy 1.12, for this reason I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. Yeah. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I know who I believed. I 
know who my God is. And so that means when things come into my life, I'm like, you know what, man? I'm not going to worry about it. God's doing more than enough worrying on my behalf. I don't, both of us don't need to be on this task. I know who he is, and I am fully persuaded that God will do what he said that he would do. I may not understand it. I might be going through it. It might be uncomfortable. I may have to change my attitude. His comfort has come. He has comforted me. My situation has not changed currently, but I know based on his word and my past experience that God is going to show up and Jesus is going to save me. Second Corinthians 1.10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Amen. If you have the contrary winds in your life, I want to encourage you that it's part of God's plan. He leads us into those contrary winds. And then he comes to us in those contrary winds and he comforts us in those contrary winds. And in his timeline, when he wants to, he will rescue you and save you in those contrary winds. Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I want to invite you to become one. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, never said, I want to be a Christian. I want to live for him. You need to make that decision for the very first time. I want you to make that decision right now. Just raise your hand to Jesus. Say, I want to give my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to be forgiven of my sins. You need to do that for the first time. We want to pray with you this morning. Hand held high. service, we had a 86-year-old man that got down on his knees at the altar and rededicated his life to Jesus. It's never too late, man. Never too late. You're still here. You're still alive. If you knew Jesus, you walked away from Jesus, but you're ready to come back to him. You want to rededicate your life to him. I want to pray for you as well. Would you raise your hand this morning if that's you, if you need to rededicate your life? Thank you, Jesus. Now, for the rest of us, we just want to live out this scripture, man. We want to trust and believe that God knows what he is doing and he will sustain us. Father, we trust in you this morning, God. Whatever contrary winds we may have in our lives, God, we know that it's you in the midst of it. You've led us here. Father, I pray that you would come to us, that you would come to your people. Father, bring your comfort and rescue us, God. We trust in your ability to do so. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being hey, we'd online like to thank you so much for joining us today online. On Facebook, we want to encourage like you to like our Facebook page, YouTube, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory.